You'll never get your head around how big the universe is, said astronomer Pete Edwards of the University of Durham in a film about measuring astronomical distances. He wanted to say there are as many stars in the universe as there are grains of sand on the earth. In fact, there are more stars than there are grains of sand on the earth. It's estimated that the universe contains 100 billion galaxies, a total of 10,000 million million stars. The distances between those stars are so vast, we measure them in light years. How far light travels in one year. Six trillion miles. The light from the sun takes eight minutes to reach us. And in this letter to the church at Colossae that I just read before we sang, St. Paul reminds them and us that this incredible, vast, complex universe and everything in it did not just spring into being by itself, but was called into existence by a creator who loves it and who imbues it with purpose. That purpose being to reflect his glory to reveal his nature, to show what he is like. All things are made through him and for him. Things visible and things invisible. Enormous galaxies, tiny atoms, flesh and blood, hearts and minds and spirits and souls. The sun was made to shine. The earth was made to spin. People were made to live and to love and to know their God, the creator. We're not just a chance creation. We're not a mere evolutionary accident any more than the universe is. People too, men and women, girls and boys, are called into being called into being to display the glory of God, called into being to reflect the nature of God, called into being to display his image. This morning I'm going to think about two things that flow uh, from this teaching. Uh, The first is this. All of creation, by virtue of being created by a loving creator, is imbued with an inherent beauty and dignity. You too are part of creation. You too were created by God and for God. Created by one who loves you and who gives you an intrinsic beauty and an intrinsic nobility. As you know, I used to work in advertising. I've spoken before of Dove's uh, Real Beauty campaign. I think one of the the best campaigns I've ever seen. A group of women, uh, ordinary women, if I can say that, not not models or supermodels, uh, were asked to describe themselves, uh, their looks, their appearance, what, what what they came across like to other people. And those descriptions were written down. They were given to a man called Gil Zamora, and he is an FBI forensic artist. He's used to drawing without seeing his subjects, used to drawing from uh, descriptions. 
He's the person who, when there's a crime and uh, witnesses have seen somebody run away, uh, they go to him and they describe and they say, well, uh, the perpetrator, he was, he was so high, he was so tall, he had, had this kind of nose, he had that kind of chin. And Gil Zamora, he does, he does the drawing and the FBI published the profile. So these uh, women's self-descriptions were given to Gil and he, he drew their portraits. The same women were introduced to um, some strangers, just for a short amount of time. And those uh, strangers met them, chat them, then went through to another room. And then those strangers were asked to do the same thing, to describe the women that they'd just seen. Their appearance, their description, their facial features, uh, their size, uh, what did they look like? So two descriptions of the same women. Two sets of portraits based upon those descriptions. The end result was extraordinary. In each case, the woman's own description was different than the description given by the onlooker. Their faces were full of flaws. Moles and pimples were were larger. Teeth weren't as straight. But when the stranger described them, the sketches were not only more accurate, they were more flattering. In an accompanying video to go with the campaign, a woman uh, tears up as she realises how her self-description uh, resulted in an uglier, sadder version of herself, while the strangers saw her as open and friendly and happy. How we view ourselves matters. How others view us is important. But how God sees us is the most important of all. David had an intimate awareness that he was created by a God who loved him and cared for him. And so he writes in Psalm 139, You have created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. How many of us would look in the mirror and say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made? How many of us would look in the mirror and say, Your works are wonderful? You are created by a loving God. Created through the word, the second person of the Trinity. Created through him and created for him. And this brings me to my second point. There is a purpose for you in life. What am I here for? What's my purpose? What is life about? What is life about for people? What is life about for me? These are questions that we all ask from time to time. But they can't be answered without reference to Jesus. You were created for Christ. And your life will only make sense in relation to Christ. And your life will only be fulfilled when it's orientated around following Christ. Following Jesus, the Bible calls becoming a disciple. 
Being a Christian, the Bible calls uh, living a life of discipleship. The further you move away from Christ, so uh, the more the image of God in you is obscured. The further you move away from Christ, so life becomes uh, more unfulfilled. The closer you move towards Christ, the closer you become the person you are created to be. You are created to be a follower of Jesus. You are created to be a disciple of Jesus. Becoming a Christian means entering into a life of discipleship. To make a Christian commitment is to make a commitment to live a life of learning from Jesus and to live a life following Jesus. In the New Testament, those who followed Jesus are called believers. They're called brothers and sisters. They're called the people of the way. They're called saints. But the term most frequently used is disciple. 230 times in the Gospels, uh, the followers of Jesus are named as disciples. 28 times in the book of Acts, the same word is used. In fact, the Bible knows nothing of a Christian who is not also a disciple. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. To live a life of learning from Jesus and to live a life in obedience to Jesus. Jesus taught that faith means to follow. And his first test of a person's faith was uh, the test to see whether they would follow him. Jesus said it this way. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self. I'll say it again. Being a disciple means making a commitment to live a life fully and wholeheartedly as a follower of Jesus. This is the life that you and all people were created for. We're all made to find our identity in Christ. Us and the whole world, us and the whole of creation. All people in all places. To be a disciple is to seek to learn from Jesus what it means to be faithful to him in every area of life. For just as all things in the universe, all things in the world were made through him and for him, So also were all things in your world, all things in your universe and in my universe, created for him and through him. Jesus said to those who would follow him, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus said to those who were interested in him, come and follow me. Learn what it means to follow Christ. Take my yoke upon you and learn what it means to be faithful to him 
faithful to him in your retirement? How does he want you to use the extra time you now have? What new commitments and new responsibilities does he want you to take up? What existing commitments and responsibilities is he challenging you to lay down? Learn what it means to follow Christ and be faithful to him at work. What does it mean to be a good and faithful servant, a good steward, not just of your company's resources, but of the resources that God has given you? What does it mean to be a faithful servant of the ministry that he has given you in your workplace? Learn what it means to follow Christ and be faithful to him when you've just had a child. When life has turned upside down, when your time is not your own, when your priorities, your, your timetable is no longer dictated uh, by your own plans. Learn what it means to be faithful to Christ in that situation. Learn what it means to be faithful to Christ when you need to live with a life-changing illness. Learn how to trust in him and rely upon him. To do, as St. Paul says, all things through Christ, who is my strength. Learn what it means to follow Christ when you're just starting out in your career. Learn what it means to be ambitious for the kingdom of God and not just your future prospects. Come and follow me, says Jesus. Follow me in every area of your life. Follow me in every area of responsibility that you have. Learn from me and be faithful to me in the whole of life. To be a disciple is to act in obedience to Jesus. If you love me, says Jesus, you will obey my commands. Haven't checked, but I'm told. There are 212 specific uh, commands of Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, 212 uh, different places where Jesus says to somebody or says to us, uh, his listeners, his eavesdroppers, if you like, this is what you should do or this is what you should not do. Do this or don't do that. They can be summed up, I think, under three uh, kind of meta commands, if you like. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. That's the first one. Second one, love your neighbour as yourself. Third one, love your enemies. Love God, first and foremost, orientate your life about uh, loving him, worshipping him, giving uh, obedience to him, honouring him. Love your neighbour as yourself. Witness to them. Point them to Christ. Uh, Serve them. Uh, Show them the healing that is found in Christ. And love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Walk the extra mile. Share what you have. If we're serious about following Jesus, our faith will lead to action. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 12 says this. 
Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's fix our eyes upon Jesus and run the race he has called us to. And running is, of course, an action. It's not, it's not passive. It's, it's an exercise. It's something that you do. It involves uh, movement. Faith, biblical faith, always leads to action. Obedience to Christ is always expressed in action. The same writer in uh, the previous chapter, Hebrews 11, has created a list of heroes of the faith from the Old Testament. He says this, By faith, Abel offered a proper sacrifice. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham packed up his family and moved. By faith, Joseph ran from evil. By faith, Moses chose a life of self-denial, confronted Pharaoh and led his people to freedom. By faith, Joshua took those same people into the promised land. By faith, Gideon showed courage and obedience even when he was afraid. Samson, David, Samuel, the, the list goes on. The world was not worthy of them. These are our great cloud of witnesses. They taught us what faith means. And what was the nature of their faith? What was the nature of their discipleship, their following their Lord? Was it just believing stuff? No. Was it just a kind of passive trusting in God that he will work things out all right in the end? No. Their faith, their obedience, their discipleship is expressed in action. They act in obedience. They live as disciples following their Lord. And for these, our forebears, faith meant offering. It meant building. It meant running. It meant choosing. It meant leading. It meant fighting. The scriptures are clear that faith that doesn't lead to action isn't faith at all, but is something less. The Apostle James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote, What good is it, my brothers, if a person claims to have faith but has no deeds? Faith, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, uh, speaks there again of um, uh, all things being, being created for Christ. And those, uh, the people he's writing to, also being created for Christ. He says this to the church. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on. Created to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. One of the things that being a disciple means is discovering what those good works are for you. What are the things that God has prepared for you to do? What is he asking you to follow him into? What is he leading you towards or leading you away from? 
What are the good works that God has prepared in advance for you? What does being faithful to Christ mean for you today? What will learning from Christ mean for you tomorrow? What is the Lord calling you to offer as Abel made an offering? What is the Lord asking you to build as Noah was asked to build? What is the Lord challenging you to leave as Abraham had to leave? What does the Lord want you to run from as Joseph ran from evil? What is the choice that the Lord is laying before you as he laid before Moses? Who is the Lord asking you to lead as Joshua led? Where does the Lord want to give you courage as Gideon received courage? These are questions for us. These are questions for all Christians, each and every day. And these are questions that we'll be looking uh, more closely at in coming weeks. I've chosen this theme for today because we're starting a new sermon series um, here at St. Giles. And it won't surprise you to know that the theme of that is discipleship. A whole life lived for Christ. In coming weeks, we'll be uh, considering what does it mean to follow Christ and what does it mean to live for Christ and learn from Christ uh, in the whole of our lives. Our working life, our personal life, our family life, our life in church, our life outside of church. As we look at those uh, questions on Sunday, we'll be following the same uh, theme and the same questions in our home groups. And this program is going to lead us up until Easter. Uh, we're not going to have any specific uh, length course this year, and instead we're going to use this as our focus in our home groups. And so if it's your normal practice to join a length course, or maybe if you've never been in a length group or a, a small group um, before, this is a good opportunity uh, to get into one. This is a theme that we're going to follow together as a church, because there is no more important theme uh, for Christians. The sermons on Sunday will tie in uh, to what our groups are looking at. And if you want to know more about that and you'd like to be uh, part of a group, then um, either speak to me or Katie, would you just quickly stand up for me? Uh, Katie Conley, she'll gladly uh, arrange a group for you um, to be in. Come and follow me, says Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And you will find rest. Let's pray. So Father, we commit our church, one another to you. And Lord, in this next season, as we consider the challenge and the joy of discipleship, we pray that you'd speak to us afresh. Uh, Lord, speak to us on Sunday mornings. Speak to us uh, in our home groups and other meetings. Lord, equip us. Uh, for the good works that you've prepared for us. Uh, strengthen us that we might be faithful and bless us that we might be fruitful in every area of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.